Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Cannon is Lionel Wallace, High Sheriff of Hertfordshire. Lionel Wallace, welcome to Facing the Cannon. Thank you. Delighted to have you here. You are the High Sheriff of Hertfordshire. I am. What? Did you, did you work with Robin Hood? <laughs> and I didn't leave my horse outside either. <laughs> right, tell us about what, what is this position? Okay, so, um, so every year uh, the Sovereign, uh, of course Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II now, uh, appoints 55 uh, High Sheriffs of England and Wales. And my name came up uh, to the top of the list uh, in November of 2020, and Her Majesty appointed me as High Sheriff of Hertfordshire on the 10th of March 2021. After being appointed... So, so this is a queen, Queen's appointment? Yeah. That's right. It's wow. a direct. It's a direct royal appointment. Yeah. Yes. Her Majesty uh, appoints. Um, in fact, there are two uh, uh, civil positions that Her Majesty appoints. Effectively, it's the High Sheriff directly and uh, and the Lord Lieutenant. Um, and uh, I've been working as a Deputy Lieutenant to the Lord Lieutenant for a number of years. Uh, but the High Sheriff role, importantly, is a twelve-month appointment, and it changes every twelve months. And mine will be changing in April. And um, what is the High Sheriff was your question. Yes. Well, um, well it's not about Robin Hood, but everybody, everybody talks about that, uh, effectively. It is, uh, it is the, in fact, the longest sovereign appointment in the history of, uh, of the United Kingdom. Um, so in times gone past, the sovereign would appoint the High Sheriff um, and uh, they would um, have responsibility for basically law and order things, running the courts, looking after justice, raising the posse, etc. Lots of things. Very, very powerful position. In fact, the majority of the clauses in the Magna Carta, which you know was drafted in St. Albans, right? I did know that. <laughs> okay. Yes, I that, did. So the majority of the clauses in the Magna Carta reference the, the sheriff, actually. It's a very old position. Today we have the court system, we have the police, etc. We have the army and therefore we, uh, you know, I get a very ceremonial role today. There are a couple of, of, of duties, legal duties of the high sheriff, but besides that, um, most high sheriffs, when appointed or before they're appointed, think about a theme that they want to complete during their year, and mine has been youth in hearts. Oh, so you were free to choose a particular theme? You are, absolutely. In fact, when, <laughs> when I was asked to be high sheriff, the person who uh, who asked me if I would take uh, a nomination said to me, it's okay, Lionel, um, it's not that burdensome and, and you can actually choose what you like. So one of the important reasons why I did accept the nomination was because of that conversation I had, which said, actually, you can, you can do what you like. So your aspirations as the High Sheriff of Hertfordshire, what are you, in this year, what are your goals? What have been your goals? That's a really good question. Um, so I have three pillars, particularly. The first pillar is um, I'm working with the Archbishop of York Youth, Youth Trust. Yes. Um, and we're looking at how do we get schools to take on what's called the Young Leaders Award. This is where young people are encouraged and inspired to do volunteering. Uh, work in their schools and become great citizens. Because I'm a great believer that actually schools are great and people can come out with really great exam results, but that doesn't make them good people. And really what 
we need to be concentrating in the whole of the education system is how do you get young people to become great citizens at young age? So that's the first program. That's Go the first on. Program. Well, how how do we get them to become great citizens? Well, I think I think we teach them lots of different values, and I mean, you know yourself that the church has great values to teach, but you know we don't have a monopoly on great values. Um, but there are ways in which people can learn how to sacrifice to serve. It's a great thing when people. Um, grow up knowing how to serve for no monetary reward. So volunteering as part of the school programme is a really good way of building character. And then one of the things that's really important, I find, and I, I really enjoy doing this, is, is, is how do you take an individual, and every young person is an individual, whatever, wherever they are, whatever spectrum, and make, uh, um, make a real effort to feed into their lives something that makes them the best that they can possibly be. And that's the sort of thing I think we should be doing in schools all over the place. And, and, the, and the example that Jesus gave us yeah. of being a servant. Yes, exactly that. It, for us it works, as Christians, it? it's just amazing, <laughs> it really, works, yeah. isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Okay, what's your second one? So the second one is then, um, uh, I started a programme with a colleague uh, called Jack Parsons from London um, called Be Your Own Boss, Hertfordshire. And this was about saying, at the time, uh, how do you inspire young people to think about um, entrepreneurial um, creativity? How can they start their own business? Because, you know, the lockdown period that we uh, have seen um, meant that um, some of the first people to lose their employment were young people. Um, you know, last in, first out and, and challenges. And you know yourself, I'm sure, that mental health, as we class it today, but all of that um, aspirational stuff, that we all try and encourage is really difficult for young people, not least because the pressures on school, what am I going to do, the burden that they take on if they go to university um, uh, and have, and, you know, with, with loans, etc. And we're saying, well, well, actually, maybe you want to think about starting your own business. So that's the middle pillar, which is sort of be your own boss, but including how can we get uh, young people, mentors and other um, other support systems that allow them to become independent financially. One of the challenges we have, particularly in Hertfordshire, is it's a very expensive place to live. Yes. And so you find that young people who want to move out of their home and should have the ability to do so, have to move very far away. And that, that inf influences the community, doesn't it? Because you get people almost sort of parachuting in that can afford it, and people who've grown up here having to be helicoptered out. Definitely. Were, which is okay. a problem. But Lionel, picking up on your first two, yes. and we'll come to the third in a minute, yes. can you give us an example where you have been able to help somebody yes. and as a result of that, they started serving? And can you give us an example where you've encouraged someone to become entrepreneurial and they have? So, um, so on the first one, for example, uh, what, what I've been doing is going around and sort of taking assemblies and doing that uh, sort of activity. And a number of the schools have taken up this programme uh, now in Hertfordshire, the Young Leaders Award programme, and, and uh, we want to see much more doing that. So that's a, that's a progression. And how um, are they serving? How are they actually, so, how's it working out? So basically what they do is they go through and they do a programme in school, and then they may go out and do some volunteering, whether it's litter picking, whether it's serving um, um, elderly people in a, in, a, in a club, for example. And as you know, over the last uh, year, that's been more difficult in terms of lockdown, etc. So it's growing, but I think the, uh, the pandemic has slowed down some of that personal volunteering. 
So it's building up. That's the sort of first one. Uh, on the second one, um, they, and, and, and it's not just about school aged young people, it's about young people I'm basically fo focusing on the age up to sort of 29. Um, but he really encouraging some of them to take on um, some businesses. One guy I've particularly been working with, you know, over um, this period and before I was high sheriff, um, started, with, started with one shop. Um, uh, in St Albans, he's now up to I think it's his sixth or seventh in 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 the in the area. And he's quite young. Uh, yeah, I think he's twenty six. Yes, twenty six and growing. And I think you know from from uh, that particular individual's perspective, God has done been tremendously powerful in uh, supporting and moving forward that vision as well for him. So you know that's that's an important aspect of that, and I've been involved in that. So the opportunities line or are out there totally. is just equipping, encouraging, yes. investing yes. Uh, and giving people some wisdom. Yeah. Did you know that Hertfordshire has the second and the third best locations, voted the best locations in the whole of the United Kingdom where people should start a business? So it's Stevenage and Watford, not too far from here. Yes. Um, were voted number uh, two and three outside of London. There is a tremendous amount of investment going on in Hertfordshire. We are going to become um, uh, the Hollywood of the United Kingdom with you know one project, seven hundred million pounds uh, studio investment going in uh, to one area of the county, and many more coming. And I was I was visiting one of the academies yesterday in my role, and talking about how do we get um, those people going through that academy school in Elstree to best prepare for these great opportunities. And some of them may not go into, you know, film and media, but, but there are opportunities out there that people don't know about. And that's one of the challenges, I think, yeah, Jay John, that um, the opportunities are there. There's, there's quite a bit of money for people to start things like apprenticeships, etc. A lot of support um, that the government and other people have been given. And I've found in my high share fear that a lot of it is about connecting people together and saying, did you know about this? And did you know about that? And moving together, and then you get a solution. And because of that, even when I leave my high sheriff role, I will be continuing with a number of things, including the last pillar, which I'm yet to tell you about. That is very encouraging. Number three, what's the pillar? Number three, have you ever been into a magistrate's court? You don't I haven't. You haven't. There you are, you see? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, one of the surprising things is that most people have not. And of course, we don't want people to go into the magistrate's court. Um, on the wrong side of the bench, as I put it that way. Um, but when I was asked to become High Sheriff, I thought I'd better do something um, interesting associated with law and order. So I read a report from the Judicial Office on the demographics of the magistracy. These are the people who become JPs, Justices of the Peace. And although I can't show you the chart, I would, like, I, I I would do that. If you see the chart, and it's on my website, High Sheriff of Hertfordshire, the average age of our magistrates is 60 years old. So I asked the Judicial Statistics Office to give me the figures associated with the defendants coming before the court. And so I drew a red line on top of that chart, and it is the complete inverse of the representation on the bench. And in a community where we're judged by our peers, as people would put it, what I'm saying is that doesn't do it. And it's important, actually, not only because of my the focus on young people, but because when you talk to young people like I do and ask them a bit about magistracy, 
invariably you'll get the same answer. And thankfully, most of them have never been into the magistrate's court. Um, I think we should change that. I think we should be teaching the rule of law from primary school and giving people that opportunity. Nobody, none of them, or, uh, or most of them uh, really, uh, have not heard that they can become a justice of the peace. And there's a, a, a survey that's on my website, and it's interesting seeing the responses come back. It's an anonymous survey. Uh, but the theme throughout it is people don't know that you become a JP at the age of 18. 18? 1-8. So why is that not common knowledge? <laughs> I think one of the reasons is perhaps it because it used to be 27, but because I think people don't get taught enough about our legal system and the things that are really important. And it's one of those things, uh, Jay John, it's one of those things, law, the law, that touches every aspect of everybody's life. And so one of the things we, uh, we want to do, I think, and I was talking with the president of the Law Society, who's a wonderful new appointment, is to say, actually, shouldn't we be teaching the rule of law uh, in schools so that people understand, um, you know, the extent of the law um, and the opportunities there are to volunteer again? and serve, because again, most people don't know that it's a voluntary role, that you're looking for um, different age demographics, so young people from 18 right through to, you know, maybe um, 60 uh, on the bench. And I'm not saying that all young, all the bench should be six, uh, should be No, but people. there should be a representation. But there should be a representation. Because when I talk to the young people who unfortunately have appeared before the court, their view is, it's just my parents and grandparents doing things to me again. And what I'm saying is, is that actually, if you had a younger person on the bench and the age of the bench was reduced, and you could say, young person uh, on the bench could say to another young person, what you did was not acceptable in our community. This is a very much more powerful statement yes. than other people older doing it. And it's not just about you know locking people up and punishing them. It's actually about setting them free. Because um, when the bench understands young people, I would say, better than it might do at the moment. And again, I'm not discounting the very great value that older magistrates bring. And I think some of those young people will be better understood and the judgments will be better respected. And so my year, and, it's, and something that I will continue with, has been spent pursuing how we do that. And I'm delighted that the Ministry of Justice has recently um, uh, taken some of these in, things into account and are launching a, and have launched actually a recruitment campaign to get more diverse people into the magistracy and I think it's just going to be fabulous and we want people you know there's probably people who are going to listen to this that are in our churches or wherever they are that can be magistrates and I would encourage people if you've never considered it, it research it and, and make an application if you can and go and serve the community in a way that's really important you can set people free from something that perhaps they're not guilty of. And and, and there's, as far as you're aware, Lionel, the system isn't biased against young people. So if, if an 18-year-old applied and there's only one place and it's between an 18-year-old and a 40-year-old, is there a bias with, oh, well, the 40-year-old's got more wisdom experience? That's a fabulous question. Um, you haven't been talking to some people who know me, have you? No, no. <laughs> um, that's an interesting question. I'll tell you why. Because I think there's a, there's a sense of unbi unconscious bias 
that might reign in some people's thinking. And I'm not picking out any individuals whatsoever. So if anybody's listening to this, I'm not picking any names out. But there's an unconscious bias that think that sometimes young people don't have the experience of older people. But I can assure you, I know a lot of 60-year-olds that aren't very wise. Yes. And I know a lot of 18 or below 18-year-olds yes. that are extremely wise. Sure. Well, so I think common sense isn't, common se- isn't always common. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, not around. Absolutely. And therefore, I think one should say, what is the criteria of what you're looking for? And choose people who fit the bill. And you can't exclude young people from fitting the bill. Um, some young people will, would not make it, just as some older people won't make it. So what I'm saying is it's not about lowering the bar and expecting that young people will have an easier ride in the application process to proceed to these very, very important significant roles. But I know some young people, they own their own businesses, they employ lots of people, they're very responsible, they know how to make really great judgments, and they're closer to the community that come before the court. Why wouldn't we have them on the bench? And so to answer your question, I think there's perhaps an unconscious bias where people would say that there's no bias against young people, but I think you've got to positively challenge people to say, and so why does the chart look like it looks? Absolutely. But, but <laughs> if more young people apply for these positions yes. over and over and over again, yes. there'll eventually be a tipping point. Exactly. exactly. Because people will begin to see people who look like themselves up there um, and, and think, actually, this is a place for me. And what the survey is, 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 is producing is people say, I've never thought about ever becoming a magistrate. Or perhaps they might say, well, I'm not going to because it, I don't feel I, 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 it's for me. And so the judiciary, the magistracy, has to make sure that it becomes and is a welcoming place. And I, don't, I think most people want it to be. But it, it, it's to break this back. And I'll tell you one story, if I may, just a few. Of course. Uh, is, is, is um, you know, in the summer, when, uh, when we got uh, unlocked, as it were, and I went to the barber shop, um, I was sitting next to a young man. I didn't know him. He was born in, um, he's a black, black young man. He was born in South Africa, came over and, and he's studying in Hertfordshire. And I just said hello to him. I like talking to people, just like you do. Absolutely. <laughs> How can we not? How can we not? So I talked to him a little bit about um, the magistracy. And that word in itself is very difficult for people. If you talk to people about the magistrate's court, a lot more people come online. So that word is a little bit difficult. Anyway, we had a conversation. I talked to him a little bit about this. And I said to him, um, you know, have you ever considered it? He says, I don't really know what it is. Cut a long story short. I gave him my high sheriff card and he went home. And uh, that was the Saturday. And on the, the Monday, I got an email from him saying, I've done a little bit of research on this. This is really important. I'm going to make an application to become a magistrate. And he was at school at 18. And, and, it's, and it's as simple as that. Simple as that. Because the challenge is not that they won't do it. The challenge is they know nothing about it. No. What I liked earlier on, you hinted at it, uh, and I want to pick up on it. Mm. You, you gave us a challenge to the church yes. and you encourage the church. Yes. So what I want you to do, Lionel, is look at our audience now and encourage the young people to serve, encourage them to become creative entrepreneurs and encourage them to become magistrates. Would you do that? I would. Well, it's a great opportunity that we have um, as believers 
in the church to uh, become servants. I mean, it's a core aspect of what I think we're called to do. We can do that in many ways, and we can do it from an extremely on, uh, early age. So whether you're at school and you're a believer, you can serve there. You can serve the school, you can serve the community. And that's something I would really encourage you to do. And not feel that you're too young to do it. Some of our greatest people, some of our greatest entrepreneurs, some of our greatest servants were very young. The disciples were very young people. Um, and there, thereafter, you know, when you're growing, you're thinking about things you might do to you know, build your family or to build a business or to serve the community even uh, in other ways. Um, as an entrepreneur, do that. If you see an entrepreneur, you might be the one that goes alongside them and serves them. And then what I always say is that we all live in a community and the church is a strong part of the community, a very, very strong part. Our schools were started by the churches. Many of the things that we, that we have today were started by believers and that shouldn't stop. And so I would say one of the great ways of serving the community is being able to judge um, and I don't mean judge in terms of condemnation, but to, to be wise and to, to balance what the right decision would be for people who perhaps have made mistakes or accused of making mistakes and come before the courts and need a judgment on behalf of the community. It's a voluntary role. It handles 95 or 96% of criminal cases in England and Wales. And it's a really important thing, I think, for the church to be involved in. So I'd encourage you to do so. Lionel, thank you for that encouragement. And my prayer is that many will rise up to that uh, encouragement that you've just given. Your tent making job is you are an aeronautical engineer. I am. <laughs> I love it. So like Paul, who had a tent making job. So how long have you been an aeronautical engineer? Uh, I've been an aeronautical engineer for 40, 42 years. So <laughs> all my all my all my working life, four plus decades. Yes, absolutely. And what aspect of that are you currently doing? We're, we're coming up to an era where we'll see, you know, I don't know if you remember the science fiction sort of flying cars, flying vehicles. Well, yes. Well, I'm involved in 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 uh, regulatory activities associated with that world that's coming about, um, and um, and it's exciting because there's new um, uh, designers and companies in the. Uh, in that environment that are making aircraft, the vertical takeoff and landing, that are going to be short uh, runways, they're going to be electrical, so, uh, you know, environmentally uh, friendly. It's just an amazing, uh, amazing uh, technology and amazing world. And I, I love it. And I, I love doing it alongside all the voluntary things that I do, including the High Sheriff. So you're not only the High Sheriff of Hertfordshire, <laughs> you're not only an aeronautical engineer, you are a local church pastor as well oh, yeah. and you pastor a fascinating church in st albans yes. tell us about that <laughs> yeah so um so i grew up in uh, in the you know the Pente pentecostal denomination I'm, I'm not totally keen on denominational lines so i don't use that as a a mark for any any issue other than just clarity um with my parents um assemblies of god and uh, and after that i um um i was asked by our master the Lord. <laughs> Thank you very much. As you know, he does to go and support a, a group of Italians uh, that were ministering in St. Albans. This is many years ago. Um, and I started off by, by uh, accepting the invitation to go and play for them one Thursday evening 
the, the piano because they didn't have anybody to play the piano for them. So I went and played the piano, volunteering. Um, and cut a long serving, story. Serving, <laughs> serving, serving, yeah, yeah. <laughs> serving, yeah. And uh, and cut a long story, story short. Some years after, I, uh, I I felt the calling of the Lord to go and and support them, minister to uh, with them, and I I ended up becoming um, a youth leader with the Italian Church, and and then effectively serving the minister that was there. In, so you had to learn Italian. Uh, so I learned Italian, yes. I learned Italian. I learned Italian in the church. So when and... you went to play the piano, you didn't know how to speak Italian? No, no, I didn't. So you and your wife had to learn? So my wife, I wasn't married then. So, so I, was, I was single. Um, and, uh, and so I learned Italian before I got married, actually. And I learned through the people in the church. And I sometimes used to go to Italy. And I'm one of those sort of people, I love languages. I don't know if you do, do you? I love languages. Yeah. Well, I speak Greek. You speak Greek. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't speak Greek, but that's, I, I love the Greek language. Um, but, um, but I love languages. Languages are and the, the ability to communicate with people who, who are not necessarily your culture is extremely powerful. So, so I, I sort of uh, take the approach. I sort of lower my, uh, lower my sort of pri- uh, pride level or inhibitions and just jump in. And so at the beginning, it was all about sort of saying words that didn't really make sense. And, and, and you know, you get into a bit of trouble. Um, but then they sort of talked, you know, they helped me and I, I, I forced them to speak in Italian, not speak in English. And then, uh, God spoke to me and said, "I really want you to sort of, be, you know, start to get this, take this seriously." So I started reading what we call the word for, t- you know, like the word for today yes. or something similar to that. Well, they have that in Italian, and so every day I, I had, um, they call it um, buon seme, which is like a good seed, and um, and they have a sheet. And I, I used to go through every day. I started in the year, highlighting all the words I didn't know. And when I started at the beginning of the year, the whole paper was highlighted. <laughs> and when I ended the year. Only a few words were highlighted, and, and that's one of the ways. And, and going to Italy, that I sort of learned, and then I got opportunities to go and speak at various um, conventions, and which I still do uh, in Italy. And I used to go and speak in, in in English and be translated, which is of, of, often, I'm sure you understand, most comfortable. And then I had another challenge, and they said, oh, "I wanted to come, but there's no way you can speak in Italian, are you?" And my Italian wasn't really brilliant at all. But I took the jump and I, I spoke in Italian. Everybody seemed to say hallelujah at the right points in time and amen. <laughs> and so I did that and, uh, and it kind of just grew from there. And then, unfortunately, the minister uh, that I was serving under um, passed away. I was in Indonesia at the time. I came back and, and through a process of uh, joining and serving at the church, I then ended up being um, the minister of the church. Um, which was much, much larger in terms of a group that I was serving than it is now, and I think, and that's, and I'm okay with that because, uh, effectively, uh, a lot of the people have gone back to Italy or they've integrated into um, the English community, and that's great as well. And so I'm serving um, the Italians in a small group and pastoring, and then I, I tend to get invited to youth conventions where I speak in Italian to you know, hundreds of young people. Wonderful. From piano player to pastor, having to learn the language and now able to preach. And teach in Italian. Yeah, you. Well, God's good, isn't he? God is good. I yes. I love the I love the combination <laughs> that you're high sheriff of Hertfordshire. You're an aeronautical engineer, and you are the pastor of the Italian church in St Albans. But all because you want to serve the King of Kings. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. me. Yeah. Lionel Wallace, an absolute joy to have you on Facing the Canon. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. 
I hope that has inspired you. I, I feel inspired hearing it again. It is about serving and stepping out. And I hope you have heard that encouragement in this conversation with Lionel today. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Hi everyone, I'm delighted to be able to let you know that our new resource, How Can I Pray, is available now. This is a book targeted for primary school age children. If we're honest, we all find it hard to pray and it's good to remind ourselves of that beautiful prayer that the Lord Jesus instructed us to pray. This is beautifully illustrated and communicates very simply how we can talk to our Heavenly Father. Can I encourage you to purchase copies for your children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, for your churches and help children in their journey of faith. Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.